You're tuned into 90.7 FM, KALX Berkeley. My name is Ashley Smiley, and you're listening to The Graduates, the interview talk show where we interact with graduate students here on campus and throughout the world. Today I am joined by Caleb Luna, a PhD student in the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies. Caleb has earned multiple awards and honors, including the GSC Student Leadership Award in LGBT organizing from the Gender and Sexuality Center at the University of Texas at Austin, as well as the Multicultural Student Leadership Award from the Community Impact Queer People of Color and Ally Center. Additionally, in 2014, Caleb was awarded the Best of the Fest at the Frontera Festival for his work titled F.A.T. The Play. Caleb, welcome to The Graduates. We are happy to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So I think we should start out by asking what you study now and um, what is the process for studying your subject? Yeah, I'm in the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies. I'm doing uh, a PhD there. I look at fatness. I'm doing a fat studies project. And right now I'm really interested in the way I've conceptualized my project and my research interest is actually about bodies generally and how they come to have meaning um, and how uh, the meanings that we ascribe to them through different uh, processes. And specifically, um, I'm interested in ling- language right now, <laughs> really, and how the, the linguistic component of that process. Okay. All right. So you teach courses here at UC Berkeley, and I was just checking out this these courses online yesterday, and they fall under the realm of what is called fat studies. And you just referenced that when you used the word fatness. Mm-hmm. And so could you explain to our listeners who may have never heard of this field of study before, what is fat studies and how do you incorporate that into your theater and performance media? Sure. So I fat studies is a field that looks at fatness as you know, a sincere object of interrogation. It mostly comes from sociology. Um, So historically, it has been a lot about this, the social impacts uh, and the social experiences of fat folks, primarily in North America, um, and how there's this concept called fat phobia, which is like the discrimination against fat people um, that we see in all avenues of um, life, from access to healthcare (laughs) to access, you know, to pay discrimination, to hiring and weight discrimination, discrimination as, as far as clothing options, you know, the micro interpersonal discrimination, discriminating on as far as like friends and romantic partners and sexual partners. Um, so it really, Fat Studies looks at all the different kind of social aspects of what fat people endure. For me, the interesting part of it is as a performance studies person, um, thinking about the performance of fat bodies. So I'm interested not just on, in stage performance, which I look at through um, primarily through like the mediums of burlesque and drag and queer people of color performing those, but also through the daily performance of fatness and how fat people perform our bodies in, you know, quotidian spaces, just walking down the street. Um, on the bus, through airport security, you know, eating at a restaurant, clothes shopping, you know, what it means to be a fat person walking through this world and how how your body is interacted with by the people around you, as well as how you um, use your fat body to facilitate those interactions. Okay. So I've been 
I've been spending some time reading about, well, I've been reading some of your web-based publication, which anybody can look up Mm -hmm. um, with the use of a computer. (laughs) And the two sites that you mainly publish on, the body is not an apology.com, as well as everyday feminism, correct? Mm -hmm. And something that I came across was this idea about the hierarchy of desirability, which I found very interesting because you seem to take on these these huge topics that require a lot of deconstruction about these big ideas that society has continued to shape. And so my impression of this, this hierarchy is that there's this idea of unequal forces driving how we value and treat individuals based on where they fall out in that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So could you explain to our audience a little bit about what that hierarchy means and how that can impact our behavior, and even what we could do to help change those notions of desirability. And you just went into that a little bit about how you move through this world. Yeah, so. absolutely. First, I don't know if that was a compliment, but I take it as a compliment. Oh, it was a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is what kind of one of the linguistic experiences I'm interested in is, you know, saying these huge topics with these big focuses um, and the, these kinds of metrics of size that we that we use in everyday conversation that I'm really interested in and I really uh I'm really into leaning into those things and Mm -hmm. seeing what part of my um fat practice and what values there are in in size um so thank you for that um secondly yeah I I also want to preface this or my my response by contextualizing my experiences as somebody who primarily is queer identified right so I historically have operated in not just LGBTQ spaces but like queer spaces the process of a queer identity is like really intentional politics are underlying like how we live our lives for the larger purpose of resisting um, not just like heterosexism and homophobia but uh, racism anti-blackness colonialism classism capitalism so on and so forth so that makes this question of fat phobia feel a little bit more pertinent in these situations where we have this group of people who have kind of agreed to have kind of accepted that we are all socialized and indoctrinated into these social forces that are really harmful to all of us in different ways and really try to actively and intentionally combat that as much as they can to like the smallest detail Right. So then existing in these spaces and seeing that a lot of them were still still really invested in a lot of systems and categories that were going on unnoticed, primarily because they remain unmarked in the dominant culture. Um, and these were categories such as whiteness, right, masculinity, able bodiedness or like not having a physical disability and thinness were like the things that I was like. So I was in these spaces where it was primarily populated by people who, although had this queer politic of like resistance and counterculture, were still usually like thin, usually white, if not light skinned, not disabled. Right. And like, we're still kind of perpetuating these priorities and their practices of like who they were networking with, who were they in community with, who were their friends and who were their lovers and feeling like, very frustrated that these people that I kind of expected or that that you know are had this self-professed interest in resisting these really harmful behaviors were still perpetuating it in this way that I felt like I was on the receiving end where being in queer spaces was not necessarily that much different than being in the larger world 
right? And I was still facing similar barriers around access to not just like friendship or not just romance or sexual partners, but even friendship. Like I've had people who, and this still happens today, where people are very uninterested in me as a person, like just by taking a look at me, right? And I can kind of, you know, I've been a fat person my whole life. I'm pretty intuitive and pretty empathetic. And so I can sense fairly well what people are they're responding to me and I you know it's not uncommon for me to understand particularly with queer men or like queer men who are like you know queer men is like a slippery term right not everybody is like a male or man but people who like operate in those circles to be like not that interested in me until I open my mouth until I say something that is like smart or interesting to them and then suddenly they like perk up it's frustrating to me because I think I'm not just on a personal level but I think fat people don't have to be interesting and smart to be valued like not just fat people but anyone like we don't have to be smart or interesting in order to be respected to be nice for for you to be nice to me for you to like treat me as if like I'm a potential friend right um and I experienced that quite a bit um historically and it happens less now uh, but it's still something that happens and and luckily now I'm in a place where I do have uh, you know, a pretty substantial and consistent support system. So those things don't bother me as much and they aren't as um, inhibitive as they have been in the past, but they're still frustrating experiences. So this has let me think about, like you said, her hierarchies of desire and the ways that we still really invest in culturally. And, you know, this is obviously, it's, it feels difficult to talk about this in a way as to not um interpolate for less of a for like lack of a better word um interpolate everybody into this behavior because i don't think that this is necessarily how everyone operates but i do in my experiences it is culturally how we operate of you know valuing normative metrics of attractiveness such as whiteness masculinity thinness so on and so forth class privilege and all these other things yeah i can personally relate to those feelings so something I think a good classic example of what you're discussing right now is you're pointing out in one of your articles about BMI the body mass index mm-hmm. so something that we all see on the wall of our doctor's office you right. know you look at it you're like I'm 5'2 therefore I should weigh 120 pounds mm-hmm. like I don't so mm-hmm. and it's this it's almost this like white supremacists telling me that this is what my body should look like because this is what white bodies look like. Right, absolutely. And when you pointed out in your article that this chart was actually developed by a Belgian statistician mm-hmm. named Lambert Adolf Jack Kedelet. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's that's how I'm pronouncing it. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never attempted, and I commend you for trying. Thank you. So uh, so he used all white European men mm-hmm. for his study mm-hmm. to characterize whether or not your body is considered healthy. Yeah. So that is very visceral, and it's something that most people don't realize. As you pointed out in your article, that we tend to accept these um, norms that are perpetuated onto us. So how do we how do we identify what is coming in that is toxic? How do we make steps to change that and realize for ourselves, like, you know, I'm looking in a mirror. This is what I look like. This is my reality. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you kind of made steps towards explaining to individuals who relate to that article, or just humans in general, what what activities can you do to to unlearn what has been in deeply ingrained in us, such as you have to be five two and weigh this much. Right. You know? 
Yeah, I mean, that's uh, something that's come out of fat studies also is like troubling our understandings of these um, categories and our investments in them. Yeah, I think for me, it's a lot about educating uh, myself and others about about these histories and how we come to um, understand our investments in them. And also questioning our investments in them and under being like, what does it mean that, for example, if I'm not healthy, like, what does that actually mean? Does it mean, I mean, this is a question that I've asked my students, like, you know, when we engage with fatness and they have so much anxiety about like, you know, they everybody always comes back to this question of like, but it's unhealthy, like, you know, you all these health risks. Um, and I know that um, it's a lot more complicated than that and that the health risks associated with fatness have been um, greatly uh, exaggerated um, for for different reasons. Um, but, you know, I've asked them, like, what does it mean to be unhealthy? Like, what is that actually, like, what are you saying when you say that somebody is unhealthy? What are, what values are you, are you investing in? Like, does that mean you can't, like, run a mile? Like, mm-hmm. okay, if you, do you want to run a mile, <laughs> first of all? <laughs> and if you do want to run a mile, um, then go, like, and you can't, then, you know, work up to it. Yeah, And that doesn't mean being 120 pounds, you know, you can run if you like train your body in whatever state it's in. Sure. I mean, and obviously this has limits, like not some people like their bodies won't be able to run a mile um, for Mm. whatever reason. And that's like also fine. Maybe they don't get to they don't want to run a mile. (laughs) You know, like maybe that's one reason why their body won't do it. So so I I feel like what you're saying is to reassess your own ideals of healthy, Mm -hmm. what makes you feel good. And, you know, also I feel that along with this with these visceral ideas about, you know, the body mass index coming from an institution, a medical institution that serves the dominant population. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we also have media showing us every day on TV. Oh, my God. Yeah look at these actresses and these actors and Mm -hmm. they tend to portray people who are non-normative as almost deficient in some Mm -hmm. ways they portray fat people as being tired or unhappy or rejected and they Mm -hmm. don't allow them to develop their characters Mm -hmm. for you to you know have some kind of relationship with this character get to know them better it's Mm -hmm. always very dismissed so that kind of brings me into our next topic about your role in theater, dance, and performance. And not a lot of people, well, let me rephrase that. A lot of people can go throughout their whole lives without ever getting up on stage and expressing themselves or sincerely trying to communicate. And it's, it's a big phobia for a lot of people. And I understand that you've performed in places like Oakland and Austin, Texas, and San Francisco, and even an international performance in Montreal. Mm -hmm. So that was back in 2016. Mm -hmm. And I was wanting I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that experience is like. And what is it that you hope to communicate to the public with your performance? Yeah, I think this this is like actually the question that got me interested in performance studies. Um, I kind of got interested in performance on accident. It was definitely like not my proactive choice. Um, a friend had recruited me and some other black folks in Austin to develop a theater piece. And none of us had any theater, or one person did, two people, <laughs> including the convener. Um, had theater experience and nobody else did and we kind of had this process of getting 
together and talking about fatness and like our experiences and eventually like then you know pulling out themes and going and you know volunteering to write on certain themes we like went and wrote different pieces and then this person developed it all into a script um and I at the time like when I started this process I was like I am a writer I feel very comfortable writing something for this piece and supporting it in other ways I do not want to like I'm not a performer I don't want to be I don't want to participate that way and then after reading the script I was like well there's no way I cannot do this it was so good and so wonderful and so important and yeah it was very terrifying to kind of to deal with that process of not just like being on stage and being in front of people and having your body then inevitably scrutinized but also talking about something that's so vulnerable and so contested right it was incredibly stressful um but it also like led me to think about why I was so averse to the stage and like what I had learned about my body as a fat person I had an understanding that like nobody wanted to see my body that my body shouldn't be seen that I should stay off the stage I should stay out of the public eye out of the spotlight um because it was just not acceptable and it was it would I'm fine with making people uncomfortable um but it would it would not only make people uncomfortable but it would like be harmful to, for them to like see me um and so that's kind of what I when I started thinking more about performance and and fatness and like what does it mean for people who are so indoctrinated and socialized into being invisible into hiding and shrinking right we're literally like emphasize to shrink ourselves away with like these emphasis on diets and weight loss Mm -hmm. um and so to 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 reject that and to say instead like actually look at me look at my body like what is looking at my body do for you I think is very powerful and it may that's where my interest kind of stemmed from and I think that is an experience I mean you're talking about how we are all kind of indoctrinated into these experiences of like seeing the BMI and you know seeing you go to the grocery store like almost everybody goes to the grocery store unless you're very lucky somehow and you have somebody cook for you or maybe you don't go to the grocery store because you don't have something to eat or you don't have money to eat um, or buy there but like most people go to the grocery store and it's so common to see like it just we're just bombarded with these images of scrutinizing mostly women's bodies about like their size and like what they've done and celebrating them for getting smaller no matter what the process for them getting smaller was no matter what harmful and unhealthy processes were involved in that and then like criticizing them when they were getting um when they when their bodies get bigger um and so i think that this is something that infects everybody and that it encourages everybody to be hypercritical of their own bodies and so i i do think that it's an experience that a lot of, that everybody can relate to in some way of like this fear not maybe not everybody but like a lot of people like feel insecure about our bodies because we're trained to be insecure with our bodies no mm-hmm. matter what they look like mm-hmm. i see that and i also see kind of parallels that you're drawing from the performance aspect of drawing attention to yourself when historically you've been taught to feel ashamed Mm -hmm. but in the same spot you're also you know writing about how individuals can do this for themselves you know Mm -hmm. something that I briefly mentioned or you mentioned earlier and also in one of your publications about you know normalizing yourself Mm -hmm. and ways where people can look at themselves you know, take the time out of your day to glance in the mirror, not just make eye contact, but 
look at all the ways your body is shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, standing up, sitting down, lying down, putting your body in weird positions, and mm-hmm. just telling yourself and knowing that this is the reality. Yeah. Um, so that in the future, and I really love this idea, you could start to replace those notions of what your body should look like. Mm-hmm. The way that that Belgian statistician was telling you <laughs> that your body should look like a white man's body. Yeah. <laughs> you know, start to replace that and... Um, embrace reality which is so powerful and something that I feel you know growing up I would avoid Mm -hmm. and being somebody of color being raised in in a world where the media was filled with Mm light-colored skinned people Mm -hmm. and the dominant group so I really love that idea of kind of embracing that and I wanted after reading that I want to hear more I want to hear more of these sort of like hacks you know into oh yeah unlearning some of the visceral white supremacist yeah. <laughs> <teachings>. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah i mean i think that like just letting go of yeah your attachment to these like, like these abstract ideas so it, you're also in a really great place to explore these ideas in uh you know here in berkeley california and i was kind of curious of how you how you decided to choose berkeley you're mm-hmm. coming from the university of texas at austin mm-hmm. correct what what made you make the the general movement from austin to to the bay area yeah i mean there's actually a ton of history of fat activism in the bay area and mm-hmm. there's a, there's a very expansive and rich community of fat people here who are doing really wonderful things so it was really so just like as a fat person i wanted to be a part of it you know there's there's such an um, an intricate network of folks who teach uh, classes for fat people, who teach um, access into dance classes and yoga and movement classes, um, and who, you know, have clothing swaps and just fundraisers and all these different things that are happening, you know, today that that are really advancing the, the liberation of fat people. Um, so it was really exciting to me to come to the Bay Area um, to to try to get involved with those communities. And I, I mean, there's people that I've met over the years who live here, and I, I haven't been able to participate as much as I would like to because mm-hmm. turns out grad school is very oh, yeah. <laughs> time consuming. <laughs> um, and I just like have absolutely no time or energy beyond you know, finishing up coursework right now. So hopefully after that, like, I would like to be more involved with with these activities. And at the same time, I had a lot of anxiety about coming to California as a fat person. Um, I mean, I I grew up in Texas and I lived in Texas all my life. And I was like, oh, my God, California hates fat people. (laughs) Like, I have visited. (laughs) I do not enjoy going to San Francisco at all. Um, It's one of the most, like, fat phobic and ableist places I've ever been. And I had visited it years ago. And I was like, this is, like, a cute city. But, like, I don't feel welcomed here. I don't feel um, wanted here. Which, which... That's yeah, that's so interesting. And I've heard that a couple of times in more than one instance. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because of this national as well as international impression of what it means to live and be in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of this outdated idea that it's so liberal, Mm -hmm. so accepting and it's like a safe haven for Mm -hmm. artists. But it's it's changed. It's changed a lot. And it is interesting to hear you say that. So where can the general public go in the Bay Area if 
they are wanting to participate in or learn more about performance? What kind of safe spaces are there? Is that something that's transitioning more into Oakland? Do you... Because I know you said you don't like to go out to San Francisco. No. <laughs> where do you go when you want to engage in a supportive community? Yeah, I mean, there are like also great things um, in San Francisco. There's this production that's an all disabled cast doing performances called Sins Invalid. Um, I don't actually know when their next production is, but that's something to get connected to. There's other places, or there's other groups in Oakland, a group called Dance Emphatic, <laughs> Emphasis on the Fat. There are instructors, Ifacina, um, I'm forgetting her last name, who, um, but she teaches, she teaches dance and movement class for um, fat people. Um, at the Ed Roberts campus, there's, I think, Thursday nights at 7 p.m., there's um, Access Centered Yoga. Beyond that... <laughs> I don't know of any consistent, like, regular events other than, you know, keeping an eye out for Facebook events and what's coming up. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So we're getting close to running out of time, and I wanted to ask, do you have any advice for students getting interested in dance, theater, or performance, anything anything like that? I think if you're here at Berkeley, it would be good to... You know, take a class. <laughs> uh, first of all, there's also over at the TDPS office. It's in um, Bear, uh, Dwinnell on Level C. Um, there's a program. They we regularly host productions. Um, if you're interested in seeing a performance, you know we teach dance classes as well. I have friends who take dance classes. You know, just to start their day off and get their bodies moving. And yeah, just look on the website, on, at the calendar on the website to see what programs are coming up. There's always, always something. Great. So this brings us to our soapbox section, which is an opportunity for you to bring up any issues that you feel the general public should be more informed about. Any shout out <laughs> to your parents. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess like my big issue is to kind of be aware of the discrimination um that we perpetuate around bodily difference and when i say bodily difference i don't just mean fatness but i mean racial difference i mean gender difference gender presentation um sexualities you know i think that this is the body is the site where all of our oppressions kind of come through and to understand that like we all have bodies we're all doing the best we can um we're all here together um and to have kind of like gentleness and compassion with each other on that um and to not you know to kind of like question these assumptions that we have not just that like being fat is unhealthy but or unattractive or like lazy or all these other things but you know that like women are weak right and that like you know people of color are here because of affirmative action or whatever like all these that's something i hear all the time yeah it's obviously absolutely not true but you know these are these Um, assumptions that are perpetuated about our bodies that just really really need to be like be checked and taken a step back and be like wait why am I actually thinking this way what do I know like what is informing this um and is this actually consistent with with these bodies experiences and they're usually not (laughs) well thank you so much for coming in today and I think that's gonna do it for us today awesome Just listen to The Graduates, 90.7 FM, KALX Berkeley, where we speak to UC Berkeley graduate students about their work. 
Today we spoke with Caleb Luna, a PhD student in the Department of Theater, Dance, and Performance Studies here at UC Berkeley. If you're interested in learning more about Caleb, please check out their multiple web-based publications via thebodyisnotanapology.com as well as everydayfeminism.com. Caleb is also in the process of writing a collaborative book titled Body Sovereignty, Fat Politics, and the Fight for Human Rights. That's it for today. Thanks. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.